good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, uh, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from a different location today. I'm in uh, uh, still very sunny and uh, balmy outside San Diego. I'm at the AARSBL conference and uh, sitting in a hotel room. Hi, this is Stephen G. Forwood, and I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you from Andromeda. No, I'm actually coming to you from Harlem, and it's it's been raining day since last night, and um, hey. All right, I'm Seth Rodney, and I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic Blog and a recent author of the book, The Personalization of the museum visit, and I am speaking to you, as per usual, from the South Bronx. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um, I didn't mean to tilt uh, my tone to tilt up at the end like it was some kind of late night radio show, <laughs> uh, like introducing a love song for Cindy and James. We hope you make it, Cindy. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, we, this is our 101st episode, um, and we're returning to, um, our uh, comedy topic and, and Seth, Mr. Rodney, Dr. Rodney, sorry, is up, uh, next <laughs> with his, uh, with his bit. Um, so Seth, you want to take it away? Sure. So one of my favorite things for the last, uh, I suppose, five years or so, I, I think I encountered, uh, this, uh, stand-up routine by Patrice O'Neill. It's the bit we're going to listen to is taken from a show called The Elephant in the Room, which is a double entendre. It has to do with Patrice O'Neill being a huge man, mm-hmm. uh, but also being someone who generally goes about his life causing a ruckus. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, that's he, he likes to play that kind of he liked to play that kind of character on stage. He's passed away now. He uh, passed away a couple of years now, I think, from complications with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the clip we're about to listen to, I think, gets at the precisely the kind of comedy, or rather is exemplary of the kind of comedy I like, because it gets at the sort of underbelly of American mm-hmm. culture. Uh, brings it to the surface and allows us to laugh at it. Some of the more, some of the more a- ugly aspects of of who we are, uh, mm. seen through the lens of what we value. So, without further ado, here's a clip. I'm glad y'all here. It's very good, yo. Congratulations to you, my friend. Look at that white woman you're with. God damn. behind you going yeah son i'm with my girl but yo for real that white woman's amazing and she tell the truth he's with his black girlfriend like no i don't don't know but that she's high level that's a high level white woman right there that white woman is that is man oh man oh man black women get mad at that but that is top shelf white woman right there You know how you can tell how pretty a white woman is? The value 
you look at her and then you wonder how long they would look for if she was missing. Come on, take a look, take a look. Look at this nigga, look, 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 look. I saw you look mad, sweetie. How long if you was missing? How long you think they were? How long you think they were? Exactly. She don't even, she went. know the deal. I ain't saying nothing wrong. White woman's life is valuable. What's his name? Yorin uh, Vandersloot? Right? We find out he was a serial killer. Man, he kills women. That's what he do. He do it well. You know what I mean? We know the girl that he, that he you know, supposedly had, uh, what's the girl in Aruba? Natalie Holloway. Right? But the one, he just killed a girl in Peru. What's her name? Um... Exactly. <laughs> Look how fast you said Natalie. You said Natalie. Natalie Holloway, that angel. Y'all said that like Family Feud. All right, name a white girl been missing for five years in the room. Of Natalie Holloway, survey son. Name a Peruvian girl that was killed yesterday. <laughs> what is that big head third world Peruvian bitch's name? It has to be Yoris or something goofy. Don't get mad at yourself. I gave it to you. You saw how fast she said Natalie Holloway. Diana Ross right here said Natalie. She knew her name. <laughs> that white girl with Natalie Holloway. <laughs> Man, you called yourself a uh, woo. God bless you, man. That is high level right there. Don't be ashamed of it, gorgeous. <laughs> she mad as hell. Fuck that white bitch. Wait, wait. No, come on, come on. Ain't nobody looking for you. I might look for you, but the news ain't you. You think Fox is reporting you missing? Let's be honest. Nancy Grace, she leads story on Nancy Grace for the next six months. Look, 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 look. I'm looking at her because she's mad as hell. Black women don't like that shit, but it is what it is. Let's be be like that let's just let's, let's be honest that little girl that went missing um she was sailing little girl was sailing, i forgot her damn name but she was she went sailing and went missing in the indian ocean okay and they spent good lord her mask broke and she was floating around and she gave out her little signal her beacon they looked for her they spent five hundred thousand dollars like tax money to search for her now if that's my daughter i want that to happen too but but <laughs> if you go sailing, <laughs> let's be honest, how long you think? Are they gonna spend five? Come on. Remember, my, hey, remember football players in Miami went missing? 
They went sailing. They looked for them for eight minutes. Maybe. They just sent somebody at the edge of the beach. I don't... I don't see them. We have to call off the search because there's too much sun. Uh, the sun, the conditions are abnormally difficult. If I go sailing, I'm taking a white baby on a keychain with me. <laughs> if my boat go down, they gonna find me. I'm gonna have it hooked right to the side of my belt. And I'm gonna dress the baby real white too. I'm gonna uh, put sweatpants on it and a pair of Ugg boots and I'm gonna take a picture. Look at this white baby. You don't come get me. This white baby going down with me. Okay. So what I love about this is that, and I even, I've seen this, I was saying to Travis and Stephen earlier, I've probably seen this clip like 15 times. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's probably more like 20. I still laugh every single time. <laughs> well, just I, now when you were rewatching it before the yeah. podcast, you, you were laughing again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Be because... He does go after the blonde woman in the front row. Oh, and she's not exactly in the front row, but in, near the front. He goes after her with such zeal. He's mm. genuinely having fun. He's mm. pointing at her. He's like, you, you, sir, look at that white woman there. My goodness. You know, he's into it. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what makes it funny is that his kind of, the way in which he's having fun is infectious. Mm -hmm. But what he brings to the surface, right, is super ugly because he says the name of this woman who was killed in Aruba and yeah. lightning fast. People are like Natalie Holloway. Yeah. Like they, people know. Right. Like, they, 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 like mm -hmm. the value of that woman's life is clearly uh, signified by how how well, how broadly her story is known. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everybody knows who Natalie Holloway is. And some people will know that her killer, her alleged killer, I don't think he ever actually confessed to doing it. Or he confessed or took it back, something like that. It's a guy named Joran van der Sloot. Mm -hmm. And so what Patrice O'Neill points out is that he killed someone else in Peru, but of course we do not know her name, right? Like we, mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. we wouldn't know her name, right? It's like, oh, mm -hmm. some. What did he say in in the, in the routine? Oh, so who was that big headed Peruvian bitch? <laughs> what? Wow. Right? Uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, he's speaking our id for us, right? Yeah. And for the yes. for the record, her name is Stephanie Flores Ramirez. Thank you. Okay? Yes. Because so, mm -hmm. we needed to say her name. Mm -hmm. But most people wouldn't know her name wouldn't say her name. At least most people who know the Natalie Holloway story mm -hmm. wouldn't know Ramirez's mm -hmm. name. And so he, he riffs on this and he talks and he looks at the black uh, black woman in the audience. He says, you know, you think they're going to look for you? You know they're not going to look for you. Ooh, you know, yes. I would look for you. You know, and, and, and that way he carves out a really stark picture mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the relative value of black lives the lives of mm -hmm. people of color versus mm -hmm. the lives of white women. Mm -hmm. And 
he's he's right. I mean, part of the reason I think I laugh every time I see this skit is that it's cathartic for me. Right? It's so mm-hmm. painful to know that, on some level, to know that my life is just not worth as much as a, as as the life of a, of a white woman. Like it, two mm-hmm. two particular people who tend to be in positions of authority in our culture. In our media culture, I assume we're talking about specifically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, mean, I also, no, but, I, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to say that it, it, it's not, I'm not, I'm not going to suggest, or I certainly wouldn't argue, I suppose I might suggest, but I, I wouldn't argue that um, it's not more broadly applicable, but the very thing that makes um, that name so readily available to the people in that audience um, mm-hmm. is the media culture that that like sort of broadcasts and bullhorns that story over right. and over and over right. again. And and I say that story meaning the the missing imperiled white girl or woman. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, and the missing imperiled white girl or woman has been an adjutant for. Um, civil action for mm-hmm. hundreds of years in this country, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is, I mean, this is, was used to lynch many, many, many black men in the that's, South. That's exactly what <laughs> I, I mean, just thought mm-hmm. of. I thought, just thought of Emmett Till, yeah. like that, the yeah. imperiled mm-hmm. woman who had, like he whistled at her or something and oh my God, her virtue is, oh, and so we need to get him, right? Yeah. Who yeah. knows what he actually yeah. did? Who knows? Well, well we know, know. now that, that she lied. Know? That, that, that she right? lied. Right. She, that she, that she lied. That confession. Yeah, she admitted. Yeah, she admitted that she lied. Um, and so th- this is there's a through line, right? I mean, right. to to right. that, um, and it's things like that. And I know Stephen wants to jump in. That it's things like like that, you know, because I um, obviously, you know, we've talked about this many times in the podcast. You know, wanting to try and acknowledge, you know, areas of progress, but. Mm-hmm. The things that provoke us most easily as a culture uh, mm-hmm. tell us something pretty um, insightful about who we are, our id, as you, I think, mm-hmm. very aptly said, Seth. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a way in which, um, you know, I, I don't, and then I'll, I'll let Stephen come in. I had said media elites, I think that's true, but that story travels and they wouldn't play that story if that story didn't get traction. Mm-hmm. And so if 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 stories around missing and endangered, let's just stick with women, women of color uh, were also as compelling, um, I think they would tell those stories. Someone with a lot of money would start a network that like featured stories about missing black girls, Latino women, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. Wow, wow, that's really hard not to follow up on, but I'm not going to do it. I'm actually going to go to okay. something okay. that Patrice Neal does, O'Neill does really, really well. And mm. a lot of other comedians, what they do for me is that they use their humor to get into places that are really difficult to, to look at and parse. And to me, are more like, so there's a um, part in the scary movie, one of the scary movie franchise, where um, mm-hmm. Regina Hall says, Oh, Hey, come on in here. She's looking at the television. She goes, a little girl, a little white girl fell down the well and everybody got to stop. 17 black people got shot today, but one little white girl falls down the well and everybody got to stop. And it's an interesting moment where I'm thinking, I like Patrice O'Neill's 
rough edges when it comes to mm-hmm. co- when it comes to comedy, mm-hmm. and that kind of humor, like you said, you I th- what, it, what the phrase you used earlier, Seth, you said it was um, you it gives you pop. It allows you to breathe, or something you said. Oh, it's cathartic. It's cathartic. Cathartic. For me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because it reveals that ugly, ugly truth mm-hmm. and that flat-footed honesty mm-hmm. that sometimes a lot of our places, uh, politicians can't give it to us sometimes, or mm-hmm. the church, or mm-hmm. other places. Mm-hmm. But comedy can get in there and go. We all know what's happening here. This mm-hmm. is what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And for me, it's more of a, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. There it yeah. is. And that yeah. the best of that kind of comedy is very healing for me. So I would say healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, I think there's, a, there's a, you know, semi-bad analogy, medical one, uh, that works, which is if you have a wound mm-hmm. that will not heal, you have to abrade it you have to clean it out you have to wash it out you have to get in there and initially that's going to be painful Mm -hmm. Uh, but to get you 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 need to get some some salt in the wound you need to 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 go through that process Mm -hmm. and i think this is what comedians like patrice o'neill patrice o'neill in particular was always really good at this pouring salt in the wound and Mm -hmm. saying here's here's how it hurts here's here's why it hurts right you know, because we we never bothered to know Ramirez's name. Um, we, right. We, we we can talk all day long about Natalie Holloway and mm-hmm. uh, uh, what happened to her and how it's a trap. Oh, the other thing that 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 I I really chafe against is when we well we um, our media apparatuses define these bad things that happen to people as tragedies. I just want to say that's just right. like the wrong yeah. word to use, y'all. It's just mm-hmm. not. It's not a fucking tragedy. It's bad. It's awful. It's horrendous for the people who go for go through it. But you know, a tra- for me, a tragedy is a situation in which nothing that we do will make it better. Nothing, mm. right? It only gets worse. That's for me really the definition of tragedy, and I take it from the 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 ancient Greek um, uh, playwright, Sophocles. And mm-hmm. He wrote tragedies because damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm. That's my little yeah. screed on tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. and the, the circumstances are also overwhelm the participants, right? right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, the fate okay. is, is so much larger than, than the individual's you know, acts of will to to sort of make their way in the world i i wanted to as steven uh, uh, mm-hmm. didn't take it up i wanted to argue with myself on my last point <laughs> that what i what i thought what i thought about when you were saying what you were talking steven was that you know i don't know if that's necessarily true about the people part of it because mm-hmm. you know like we know for example in the last few years or five years or something like that action movie franchises that have done the best have starred women and I know movies that feature uh, women um, tend to do better at the box office than uh, movies that feature men. Yet, movie studios still load up mm-hmm. the movie slate with movies that feature men and still have not fully broken out of – I mean, it's starting to change a little bit, but haven't really broken out of 
the sort of formula that they use to make money. Right. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, I just basically wanted to, to temper my conviction in mm-hmm. the last statement. I don't know that you, that there aren't enough people in the country who are not, um, compelled only by the imperiled white woman, mm. um, that there aren't enough people in the country that might be compelled by other stories. I'm sorry, go ahead, Steve. No, I was just going to say the, the right, attractive, imperiled white woman. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Optics sure, mean everything sure. right here. No, yeah. the princess, yes, uh-huh. absolutely. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not I'm supposed do- to happen to us. It's that whole, we didn't know, we moved out here to the suburb. It's not supposed to happen to us. Right, right, right. <laughs> These kinds of, it's those do, narratives do, all wrapped yeah. up together and braided do together. You, mm-hmm. Do you guys think that there's a way in which the notion of chivalry is sort of wrapped up in this as well? This idea that the damsel in distress is supposed to be rescued by us collectively, precisely because that attractive white woman, damsel, is in distress. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, uh, I don't, maybe, yes. I, I mean, hmm. I'm, I just was trying to pull up some historical, uh, resources. You know, I, uh, obviously the Iliad was mm. launched because, mm. you know, mm. of the contention over a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. Greek, so certainly not white in the sense of how, right. you know, we think of white. Right. But, right. Right. Um, and, you know, I huh. was thinking of the Ramayana story, uh, Rama and Sita. Uh, mm. it, I mean, it's probably just not in the same way though, right? I mean, it's not, I mean, there is, there is a kind of some, um, a moral simplicity to mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. for contemporary America. Um, I don't know. Do you know when you, I mean, you lived in the UK or, I mean, or Stephen, do you guys know, like, does that story play in Germany? Does that story play in France? Are they, are they preoccupied about, I mean, is that, yeah, I, don't, no. I just don't know. Yeah, no, not, no. When I was in the UK, no, the, the big stories were not the stories okay. of the damsel in distress. They were more like, um, Paul McCartney um, said something to someone that might be somewhat offensive. Macca says, go home. That sort of thing. Like, <laughs> like that kind of, or, or, or something happened on the football pitch that like spilled over into, uh, uh, domestic life. Um, there, there's a, there was a tremendous row and, and so and so is, 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 has been given a sack. Like that's, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. It was like right. layered across the headlines of newspapers. That, yeah. that, that American part of it though, for me, I go back to the preservation of innocence by James Baldwin. Mm. It was like most recently collected in a, um, I think an American editions, um, edit. Um, edited volume by Toni Morrison and mm. it's that you're never allowed to really grow up and so that kind of fantasy mm. about actually um, the actuality of saving a woman who never gets to grow up because she's just a girl she's supposed to be protected or even more recently I was watching a Twilight Zone Alfred Hitchcock um, presents and some of these 50s TV shows and there's always a fainting mm-hmm. white woman she I mean, she just can't mm-hmm. handle it you know and I was going and since we're all always dealing with generational perspectives about women like mm-hmm. the whole pushback with the Me Too movement and movements before that the different um mm-hmm. about actualizing women there's still a very strong mm-hmm. strain of we must protect her and I'm not yeah. saying that I don't have that impulse with my best friend or right. my sisters mm-hmm. or women mm-hmm. around me there was 
I was at a restaurant the other day, and and I thought the waiter was getting smart with the woman I was with, and I became mm-hmm. very agitated. And I was like, okay, he got one more minute. He got one more minute. He got. Mm-hmm. She handled the whole thing. He wasn't mm-hmm. getting smart with her, but it was my. I have to jump in this to legitimize mm. this. Not maybe not legitimize it, but to show him you can't do that. You can't talk to her that way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that impulse is in me in a way that feels uncomfortable. But I like being able to. Why? Why? Why do I have that? Why mm-hmm. can I just let it? You know, let her handle it. Right. Like, you know? like, like, like recognize her agency in that moment. Absolutely, and just right. look at her and say, okay, what are we gonna do? Do you need me? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> right. right. I'm, I'm at the ready. I can do right. this. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, w- I think that impulse is a good one as long as it is properly tempered and as mm, long mm-hmm. as it's not um, uh, overly fetishized. Right. I mean, I, 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 I would suspect, I mean, I don't know for you or whatever, but I would take umbrage if I saw something like that. If I was just someone with I care that I cared about. If I saw someone at a restaurant being rude to you or Seth, not that I That's don't exactly think right. you would say something. I, I, I'm sure you would, but I definitely would not be happy with that and would be and <laughs> would feel inclined to say something about it. Uh, and in fact, have done that. <laughs> Me too. And 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 so I, you know, I I don't. I don't think the impulse to protect the people that are close to us is is necessarily a bad one. It can be deployed in to nefarious ends by the state and media, and often is. Um, and I think I think that that what you just brought out that I think we probably all share this impulse, and it's probably maybe you know universal certainly to protect the the person that's like intimate or close to you um hmm. but it's that in america what causes that reflexive response is the young white woman it, right. it it's it, hmm. it what causes the collective at least as far as we know so far you know i don't i mean are there any example do you guys know of any examples of non-white women that have like produced similar levels of of agitation in our collective id? Yeah. Well, uh, the first I thing that comes to mind... I just don't follow stories like that. Not, right I don't think it's the same level, but the first thing that comes to mind is the controversy around the boys who were essentially were harassing a Native uh, American protester at the mall in uh, mm. Washington, D.C. Yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Remember the kid I, who I like, confronted the, the mo- yeah, this guy and he kept staring he at him? He didn't actually... It was a badly reported story. It was actually, terribly reported, absolutely. No, That's, no, no, yeah. right. But, but, but my point is that, and I'm, uh, what I'm getting at is that mm-hmm. we've talked about that collectively for a long time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Taking yeah, sides, you know, uh, for and against the, ch- the, the child and, and for and against the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Native American man. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good example. But there's a um, cultural clashes, and I think that uh, mm-hmm. sort of at the same what what's to say plateau maybe uh, mm. uh of collective umbrage there exists the the damsel in distress white attractive young woman and the cultural clashes the the moments mm. when our again our beliefs and our values come into stark uh, mm-hmm. uh vivid um perception uh, but I want to actually want to get away from this for a second. I want to ask you guys a, just a really basic question about 
the clip. When when you guys first saw this, did you laugh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mm-hmm. thought it was funny. I thought it was very funny. I, I, you have previously told me about that clip though in conversation, mm-hmm. um, and so I probably didn't laugh as hard as I would have had I not been aware of where the bit was going. Mm-hmm. But it was still very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Patrice O'Neill is funny. I mean, we talked about this before, and sort of like you know the, the delivery and just kind of the craft of comedy. Um, mm-hmm. um, but anyway. Yeah, and I like Patrice O'Neill in conversation with other comedians because mm-hmm. you get their style and mm-hmm. you get their approach. And I forget the name of the show that I think it was on HBO, but there were maybe four or five comics sitting around just talking about things. Last Comic Standing? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. That was, was NBC, a... I think. It was HBO, okay. and it was okay. a lot rougher. Right. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, you had different kinds of comedians on who were just savage, right? Right, right. And Patrice O'Neill was just in it, you know, and so I wish I, I had a better response, um, had pulled up the clip earlier, but I was like, no, I like this guy. And I think I mentioned to you before that Patrice O'Neill reminds me of the kind of comedy I experienced when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I called it porch humor. Mm-hmm. It just went in, mm-hmm. you know, teenagers mm-hmm. were ravaged. We would just go in, we'd find mm-hmm. that body part or that mm-hmm. personality or whatever and just rip it, rip it, rip it. And sometimes it would be really artful. Extremely awful. Sometimes it's just basically, yeah, cheap, cheap shots for the cheap seats. But, but yeah, that's what he reminds me of. So he reminds me of uncles and other people that I've known in my life who just had that eye mm-hmm. and had that mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. A very good friend of mine, her father was really good at it. One day he was telling me, um, he came to my apartment. I had no, this was my first apartment. I had no furniture, a bed and a, a table. Mm-hmm. He walked in. He said, somebody needs to come in. Somebody needs to break in here and leave something. <laughs> and everybody, ha, 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 and left. Oh, <laughs> and I remember cold. feeling so saucy. That's, that's but, you know, all, that's ice cold. <laughs> I was like to go, wow, that's a great jump. <laughs> that's, odd. that's pretty dope, yeah. you know, but yeah. yeah. But I also want to say this, go back to br- briefly before you ask that question, um, Seth, is mm. that the only collective outrage, or it wasn't even really collective, but it was more in community, more in black community and trans community, are the deaths of trans women. So that yeah. would, it would be gain, gain traction for a while yeah. um, mm-hmm. around that. And sometimes it would be reported by the larger media, sometimes. But it was mm-hmm. largely the outrage in that community to find justice for that trans woman. And that's been happening yeah. last for the last three to four years now, unfortunately. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so... And so I like the word collectively in, because it, because we're looking at mass media and, and mm-hmm. also people that you know. And, mm-hmm. but, but I definitely feel like in my world, that has largely been, and it continues to be during Trans Week, which was last week, um, mm-hmm. to acknowledge, um, not just the tragedies and the murders, but trans life. You know, mm-hmm. can I can I ask you a question about that? Is there um, sure? Because mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there's a if there's an analog here. Would trans women be seen as the most vulnerable members of the LGBTQ community? Community, rather. I think because a lot some trans women. I hate saying a lot when I don't have stats or anything, but the way that it's characterized is that um, black and brown trans women who may be dispossessed of having a job or having or having issues with getting even just identification that some work low paying jobs or no paying jobs that are or sex workers and so forth do put them in a position mm-hmm. of being more vulnerable absolutely mhm yeah so i'm wondering if 
if there's, if we can, I mean, you know, I know we're coming up on time, but uh, and there's all this from Patrice O'Neill's bit, but I'm mm-hmm. wondering, you know, if there's a, a way in which um, communities or collective identities are shaped by or shape themselves around the protection of their most vulnerable members and what that says about that community's values. Um, hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, I mean, it's fairly, and you know, it's unfortunately, it's fairly low hanging fruit in the American context. I mean, to, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the young white woman, I mean, I understand, you know, if you were, if this conversation were to be played in a mass media context, it would not be low hanging fruit. That conversation is not really being had, but amongst the people that we would count as friends and colleagues and associates, to point that out is somewhat low-hanging fruit. I, I mean, this is a fairly well-traveled aspect of this. But to think about it in a larger context of how communities are shape themselves around their collective outrage of the vulnerability of their their least powerful members, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the least powerful because of many and many times how those people are accepted within their own community Absolutely. or not accepted within no. their own community. Absolutely. There's they're the thing that most people say you're not supposed to be. You're supposed and this, yeah. and this will um something we could follow up in our gender upcoming gender um podcast. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. ideas of vulnerability in an American mm-hmm. context. And so even when I read the articles, sometimes they often bring up other trans women of color who have been abused. And so mm-hmm. there's this pushback to acknowledge and I think in a way to broaden what the community actually is, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to the sort of mm-hmm. polis- politics of uh, respectability kind of brown mm-hmm. and black person. So I think that mm-hmm. that community is breathing and acknowledging and actually growing and evolving in ways that there's mm-hmm. a lot of pushback in from that community and also from the larger white community. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I wonder, that's a really complex uh, construction, though, because mm-hmm. what, what that suggests, Travis, is that the young white girl, uh, young white attractive girl, is the most vulnerable, is seen as the most vulnerable mm-hmm. member of her community um, by the people in her community. But then what happens when she becomes a woman that somehow trans that that somehow transmutes into her being valued above all that, all other people in her community? Like how does that mm. alchemy take place? Uh, I know it's it's the it's the it's the we I mean it's the um it's the uncanniness of like the fetish or the totem, right? Or the, 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 the sacred boundary, right? It's, mm. is, is, uh, Mary Douglas in, has the book Purity and Danger, right? So it, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not just that the sacred is the most special. It's also the thing that is cast off from the community, the thing, the boundary beyond which you, you know, one mm-hmm. cannot tread. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that sort of complexity, um, and and that um, the resilience of those significations and those symbols mm-hmm. um, is is sort of the work that I think we're about and the and what we're doing in the American age is like how how do we pull these things apart 
and and think about our communities in more productive, more more ambitious, more honest ways. Um, mm. Yeah, and I don't you know, and nice don't one. have a succinct don't have a succinct response to right. what it means. Right. Mm. But it's necessary right. work, and right. I hear more, and not just theorists or acad- academicians and other people and activists, but more people, more white women pushing back on that mm-hmm. and saying no. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this, I refuse to be embodied that way and I refuse mm-hmm. that trope, you know. And mm-hmm. so it's an interesting moment. It's interesting to see how people are pushing back on things that in some ways they've really maybe never really thought about and just mm-hmm. accepted or just find um, bound, you know, to and now are saying no. So I, I actually yeah. like these moments of messiness, you know, when it comes to yeah. Pulling this shit apart and really looking at it for what it is, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah. that comedians are, as we've been saying, are really brilliant at doing that. In fact, um, and perhaps we can end on this note. Uh, one of the things that, or one of the conversations that I had with Travis years ago about comedians and where we were politically as a country, that I think I think the way Travis said it to me was. Our most trenchant, our most insightful political analysis is actually coming from comedians these days. Mm -hmm. And that in some way, in some way, that spells our doom. If we are not getting this kind of analysis from our politicians, Mm -hmm. from our broadcasters, from our journalists, from uh, the people who are most often on large networks broadcast networks mm-hmm. radio television etc and they're not giving that to us but it's coming from comedians that may mean we're in trouble i remember that conversation actually but yeah. wasn't it always that way <laughs> no no i i would i would huh. argue no it wasn't i think there at some point we had people like james baldwin who was a who was a public intellectual people would tune in to hear talk pull apart uh, our 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 culture, but right? I always think that those people are are looked back differently. Like we weren't, we were alive during James Baldwin's time, but this man was often cast out, and you know he he was popular, but the kind of audiences that he had, and the kind of truth speakers, truth speakers have always had an issue in this culture, in American mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. and so I don't think there was a time before this time. I think that there is a. Wasn't there a Dick Cavett? Wasn't he on Dick Cavett, yeah, though? Yeah, that's like, exactly what I'm saying. I mean, like, like, that's what I'm saying. He right, was no. Dick Cavett. Right, but, but Baldwin was both admired and also kind of cast aside in ways. He what, he didn't have this straight, mm. wow, er, James Baldwin. Everyone's looking at James Baldwin. On, it doesn't mean that he was taken seriously. It doesn't mean that people... Mm. I feel like we still have that kind of culture going on today meaning that there are always truth speakers and the people who have the most to lose are the people who are the most articulate at times about that. Mm, mm. And now that we're more um, media, I, we hear more. Yeah, yeah, perhaps this is a subject for another podcast, but I would, I would argue that I think it's shifted. I don't think that mm. that weight was carried by comedians before. I think it was, it was carried by other kinds of intellectuals. Well, I agree with mm. that, but yeah. I just talk about the audiences and how they were accepted there are a few things, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went way over because of the clip, but of course, you know, it's a good conversation. Uh, Seth, thanks for the Patrice O'Neill bit. Mm-hmm. So, Indeed. and uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Okay, take Bye. care.